We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. The theme that we were really feeling God wanted to communicate this morning was really about God speaking to us and hearing his voice. And that's the thing that we really want to kind of, uh, we want you guys to, to pick up as we go through this, this story and, and pick it apart and see what, what God might be saying is that, that God speaks to us. So let, let's kind of keep that, that in our mind. But first of all, just a bit of background. So as I said, um, at this point in Israel's history, um, we have a divided kingdom. So you've got Judah in the south, that's the one in red. You've got Israel in the north. And Jeroboam is king of 10 tribes in Israel. And Rehoboam is king of Judah in the south. And Jerusalem is in Judah in the south. And as I said this morning, we're focusing on the north. We're we're, uh, interested in in Jeroboam and what what he's up to. And at this point in in Israel's history, Jeroboam is king. And he's a very uh, astute political manipulator. He's kind of a a man of the people. He knows how to get people on side. And he's basically making shortcuts for the people of Israel in in their worship of God. Um, It said just at the end, and and this is a really kind of key verse in this passage, that um, he basically said to, to anybody who wanted to that you could become priests in the kingdom. It says, any who would, he made them priests. And this was against what God had said. God had chosen Levites to be priests, But Jeroboam went away from that. But he knew that that was going to make him popular among the people. And he's also moved the place where where they worship from Jerusalem, which is in the south, to the north. And he set up uh, two golden calves um, for the people of God to worship. He says, don't worry about going to Jerusalem. Don't worry about going to the south. It's too far for you. Stick in the north. Because he knows that if people went to to Jerusalem, maybe their hearts would be turned and they'd, they'd... remember their, their history and why they were there. So he sets up these golden calves. So he's leading the people of God into, into idolatry, really, back into, in, into idolatry. And this is a horrible moment. Um, all of the, the, the kind of plan and the promise of God over Israel at this time is kind of hanging in the balance. It's kind of a crisis moment. And, and if you looked at this from the outside, you'd be forgiven for thinking, it's all going wrong. Everything that God had planned for his people, his nation, the purpose he had in in showing the world what he was like through this people, it's not working. It's it's not happening. And actually, this story is the beginning of of the chaos, the beginning of the end. After Jeroboam, just time after time, we get loads of kings which do the same thing that he does. And actually, throughout the book of Kings, it always refers back to Jeroboam. It says, Uh, They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and repeated the sins of of Jeroboam. He's almost like the first uh, archetype of of evil in in the uh, kingdom of of Israel. So there are four lessons that I want to draw out of this passage this morning. Um, A truth, a warning, a promise, and an invitation. Um, So we're going to start off with the truth. So this is the truth that I want us to focus on. God speaks to us, and as long as God is speaking, there is hope. And it's interesting, when Daniel kicked off this morning, he talked about hope. Um, And and as he's speaking, I thought, yeah, I I think there's really something in this this message of hope. And I think it was picked up as well in what Lydia shared last week. And I, I feel this might be 
might be something that God, God is speaking to us. This is a very difficult time for God's people. As we've already seen, we've set the scene. It, it, it's a, a challenging time for the nation. But the truth about this story is that God is speaking. You know, it, it, crazy stuff happens, you know, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But God uses a man of God. He actually sends him from Judah, from the south up to the north, and he speaks into this situation. <clears throat> and in fact, at this point in history, almost as the kings that God puts in charge get more and more evil and they go more and more off the rails, God's voice doesn't go quiet. In fact, it, it becomes louder than ever. And God raises up prophets. He raises up men of God time after time to almost be that voice of God, to, to kind of speak to the kings, speak to the nation, say, no, this is God's plan. Let's get things back on track and, and call them out. And it's almost like God's not doing it through his king, as he did with David. He's not setting the standard through the king because the kings are disobeying, but he is, he's still speaking and he's still raising up these, these prophets. As the circumstances get difficult, um, the voice of God resounds. And this is a key theme throughout, throughout kings. And hope might not be the first thing you think of when you hear this uh, prophecy, this word that the man of God gave to Jeroboam. He says, the altar's going to be split apart. God is going to raise up a child who's basically going to do away with all the false priests and sacrifice them. And, and you know, that, that's what's going to happen. Um, and God is going, to, is going to do away with the idolatry. It doesn't necessarily sound the most, most hopeful at face value. But again, when you look at the context, when you look at the, the way that Jeroboam was leading the kingdom into idolatry, the golden calves, God's plan splintering into sin, this, this message is, is a breath of fresh air. That someone is coming who is going to follow God. A king is coming. A child is going to be born. He's going to be called Josiah. And he's going to start to set things right. And when you look at who Josiah was, um, he actually comes 300 years after this prophecy is given. So a long time in the future, um, Josiah comes. And there's many, many, many bad kings before him. But Josiah is one of the kings, one of the few kings in the whole book, where it says he walked in all the way of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He was only eight years old when he started to reign, and he was a reformer. He did away with, with a lot of the bad stuff in the nation. He rediscovered the book of the law of God and said, I'm going to follow this. And this is a, a voice of hope into the midst of this dark, dark situation. And that's what God does. When God speaks to us, whatever we're going through, whatever situation we're facing, his word brings hope. And he's speaking to Israel at this point. And, and he's speaking to us. And I feel like he's, he's kind of already speaking to us this morning. There's a wonderful promise uh, in... Uh, it's not one John, actually. <laughs> it's John. Um, when it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice. I love how, how matter-of-fact that is, that we can have that relationship with God where we hear his voice if we are his sheep, we know we can hear him. And that happens in a lot of different ways. But it's an incredible promise. We don't need someone in between us and God. We don't need an intermediary. He speaks directly to us, face to face, and we can come before him. Jeremiah 31, 24 says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them 
to the greatest. We can all know God. We don't need someone to to tell us what God is like. We don't need to rely on someone else's faith journey or the words that they give to us. We all have that direct access. We can walk with him as a friend. We can walk with him through the things that we're going through, the the challenges, the difficulties, as as well as the good times. And and when I think about my life and, and some of the stuff that I've been through, I see again and again and again that at times of difficulty, God has brought hope through, through speaking to me. There's so, so many examples, and I had to really struggle to think about, um, about what to say, because when I, I think about my life, that has just been such a consistent, consistent theme. One particular story that, that comes to mind, <clears throat> so I've got a brother called Toby. Um, he's in between me and Peter, and there was a period in his life where he was uh, really struggling with his mental health and, and struggling with um, depression, really, and he, he was in a very dark place. Um, it, it was a real challenge for, for us as a family. We were standing with him, we were supporting him, but there were some days that it was almost like everything ground to a halt and nothing could happen. Normal life couldn't, couldn't take place. And I remember there was one such day where we were due to go to a family wedding, and it was quite a long way away. It was a, a drive to get there. And, um, and it was the morning of the wedding, and you know what it's normally like, you're kind of getting ready and you're putting your suits on and, and you're preparing to go to the wedding. But Toby was just in, in a really difficult place that morning. And we were just sitting there thinking, how can we do this? This, this just isn't possible. We, we can't drive all this way and go to the celebration and, and you know, almost be participating in that when Toby's in this place. And, and we just didn't know what to do. But somehow we, we got ready, we, we got into the car and we, we set off on this journey. Um, and, and we were driving down Green Lane and just getting to the traffic lights. And someone says, I think it was Peter from the back, he was like, there's a guy with a psalm on his back. And we're like, what? A psalm on his back? And sure enough, we looked out the window and there was a guy cycling on a bicycle with Psalm 25 written on his back and some words written out. Now, Psalm 25 is not like a, a kind of classic psalm. Like, it's not like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's quite a niche, quite a niche psalm. But there he was with Psalm 25 on his back cycling along, and we were just going along in the car. We were like, that's got to be God. That's got to be God for this situation. And Toby was just kind of sat in the back, kind of with his head in his hands, almost just in another world, not engaging, not really aware of what was going on, but we were just, we were just trying to get there. So we decided to look up Psalm 25, and we looked up Psalm 25, and we read it together in the car. And as we read it, there was just that sense of, oh, my goodness, God is speaking to us. He's seen the difficulty that we're in. He's seen the challenge that we're facing, and he's given us a word in, in the most crazy way. And we read through it, and there's a bit in that psalm where it says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. You bring me out of my distresses. And that was God's word to us at that point in our, in our journey. And actually, as we went through that day, through the wedding, it wasn't completely easy. You know, there, there were challenges, and we were sort of there, and everyone was happy, and we kind of knew what was going on, and we were seeing how Toby was, but there was a moment where we sort of stepped outside and I was kind of walking with Toby and, and he was still sort of feeling under it. And, and I said, but God has spoken. God, God gave us that word in the car that, that he's with us in the midst of this. He's with us in the midst of this. And there is hope. There is hope in the midst of that situation. I can think of another story <clears throat> um, where about my mum, my actually, um, before... Me or my brothers were born. Um, 
she actually she was pregnant and she had a miscarriage and it was a very difficult time for her. Um, there was a lot of, of sadness and, and kind of fear and anxiety around the idea of, of uh, getting pregnant again and, and what would happen. And in the moment, in, in that uh, very difficult time for her, she happened to be listening to a worship song and there was a line in it from Psalm 28 which says, your sons will be as branches around your table. And she just listened to it, just a worship song, but it just went straight to her heart and she knew that that line in the song was God's word to her. Your sons will be as branches around your table. Um, and I listened to that and I think, she could have had daughters. Like, what, what would happen? <laughs> um, but again, in that difficult, difficult moment that she was facing, when it looked like she didn't necessarily know what the future would hold, God had given her a word that brought hope. That brought hope. And I feel like there, there are maybe people here this morning where God has given you a word, um, and maybe it, it feels like it's too far away. It, you know, it's so removed from the situation that you're in. Things are so difficult. You're like, how can that be the case? How can God fulfill that word? And he wants to say that, that no, I spoke that word to you, and it, it's meant to bring hope. And it could be from a long time, time ago, words that seem impossible. Um, there's a couple of reflection questions I've got. Um, so number one is God reminding me of something that he's spoken, which is his word of hope to me. And the second one is, do I want to hear his hope-giving voice? Maybe you've never heard the voice of God before. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, that sounds all well and good, you know, people on bikes or worship songs or, or all of that kind of stuff. But I've never really heard the voice of God. I don't really know what that looks like. I believe that God's giving us an invitation to begin that journey of listening to him and hearing him. And I really feel that sense of, um, that sense of invitation that God really wants to speak to us this morning. And, and maybe that's for you. So um, just, just keep that, that in mind. So God is speaking, and as long as he's speaking, there is hope. The second thing I want to talk about is a warning from this story. And that warning is we can miss God speaking to us. It's possible to miss God speaking to us. And that, in many ways, is, is the tragic thing of this story. Both Jeroboam and the man of God, as we saw, in very different ways, ultimately miss the voice of God in their lives. They're two people, two very, very different people, who have received a word of God at some point in their life. Jeroboam um, received a word from, from a prophet that he would become king, and God actually says to him, I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel as long as you follow in my ways. God's given this word to Jeroboam, but he's forgotten it, and he, he's off doing his own thing. And then the man of God, he receives this incredible commission from God to go and, and bring this prophecy to Jeroboam and not turn to the right or to the left, not, not receive a gift or, or go in and, and eat bread and drink water. Um, and yet somehow further down the line, maybe 24 hours passes and he's in the wilderness and he gets taken in by the old prophet who's lying to him and he forgets that word that God has spoken to him. They both miss the word of God. And it's almost like that, that man of God, he knew God, he, he had some knowledge of God, he, he'd received this commission, but he didn't treasure that word in his heart. He didn't take that word and say, this is what I'm going to build my life around. This is the most important thing 
to me. I don't really know what was going on in his head, but something happened where he was deceived and he was taken in. And this is quite a baffling story. It's quite a, a, an odd story in many ways. And one of the, the only reasons I can think that, that this is here and, and that we read about the prophet and, and Jeroboam and what happens to them is it's kind of bringing us back to that point that we've seen throughout Kings. That it's very tempting to categorize people as good and bad. Oh, Jeroboam, he's the bad guy. He's the evil king. You know, he's leading Israel astray. And then you've got the man of God who's, who's faithful and he's bringing the word of God. That's fantastic. But it's almost like the story is saying, no, we all have the capacity to miss the word of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you're coming from, if you have this, this amazing call on your life, or if, if you're a king or, or whatever, I don't think many of us are kings here, um, we all have the capacity to miss, to miss God. And, and just like when we looked at King Solomon, it's not always clear who's good and who's bad. There's that deceitfulness of our heart that we need to be aware of. Um, and it, it, when we talk about missing the word of God and, and we talk about this story, it can seem a bit difficult to relate to it because it happened a long time ago and there's lions and donkeys and all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff happening. We kind of put that in a box of a, a Bible story. But I just want to share a story about when I missed the word of God to me and talk us through that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> when I was, gosh, how old would I have been? It was after uni, so it would have been about 20, 21. Um, this was my mobile phone, um, a lovely, lovely Nokia there, brick phone. And um, I love my Nokia, and, and everybody else kind of had, had smartphones and this kind of thing. But I, I thought, you know, I was onto something with this Nokia because it kind of, I, I like the simplicity of it, and I liked kind of, I don't, I don't really know what I was thinking. It was a bit weird, but I, I was really attached to this Nokia phone. <laughs> and... Um, and I remember Jamie came to me. I was just starting leading youth at that time. And there was this newfangled thing called WhatsApp. And, and all the youth leaders were on this WhatsApp group, and they were communicating. And I couldn't get WhatsApp on my wonderful Nokia phone. So I was kind of not really able to in engage with, with what was going on, what was being planned. I remember Jamie came to me and said, Jem, do, do you think it could be time to consider getting a new phone? And I thought, OK. You know, and like every you know, good holy person, I said, I'll, I'll go away and pray about it and think about it. <laughs> and I went away, and you know, some time passed. And Jamie came back to me and was like, have you had any thought on that? And, and I was like, well, I've been thinking about it and praying about it, but I haven't done anything yet. Um, and, and time went on again. And it actually took, we were at a, um, I think there was a conference at the time when some of the, the international delegates came. And I went on a trip to uh, a shopping center with, with a couple of the dele delegates. I think it was Alan and Diana from uh, St. Martin. And, and they, um, we went on this, this shopping trip. And at the end of the trip, they presented me with a gift. And they said, here's, here's your new mobile phone. And it was a smartphone. <laughs> I don't think they'd had any secret chats with Jamie. Um, <laughs> but they'd given me this smartphone. They'd see, seen I had this need. And actually, I think God was working behind that, and God was forcing the issue. And in his mercy, although I was dragging my heels and I, I wasn't hearing um, his word to me at that time, I ended up using the smartphone. I was like, well, I, I can't not use it now. I mean, God's just given this to me. So I started using it. And you know what? That, using that smartphone unlocked something in what I was able to do, how I was able to participate, how God was able to use me. It unlocked something in how I was able to relate to other people. And there was something, I suppose the point I'm trying to make here is behind this very banal kind of innocence of story or this suggestion from Jamie that didn't seem holy. He didn't say, thus says the Lord, um, you shall get a new phone or, or anything like that. It was just a very innocent thing. But God was speaking 
and, and his spirit was doing something um, through this, this uh, decision to get a new phone. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I missed it. And that was a lesson learned for me in that time. So there's two ways I think that I want to touch upon that we can miss the word of God in our lives. And number one is we miss the value of the people God has placed in our lives. And, um, and I think both the prophet and Jeroboam fall into this trap. They, they lose sight of the value of the people God has ordained and placed around them to help them hear, hear God. Um, so again, we return to, to Jeroboam. He appointed priests from among the people who are not of the Levites. This is going back into chapter 12. God had chosen a certain group of people called Levites to be priests in his nation. They were the people God had chosen. That was his order. That, that, that was the way he'd arranged things and set it up. And Jeroboam has rejected that. And he says, anyone can become priests. You know, just say the word. If you're interested, you know, come, come and be a priest. And that was great. That might have given him some political security. But he was rejecting the people that God had ordained to be priests to him in that place. And he suffered the consequences from that. In fact, he was so insulated from godly counsel that God had to bring a man of God all the way from Judah just to speak to him. That's how removed he was at that particular point uh, in time. And then we see the man of God. Um, when he gives in and he believes the lie of, of the older prophet, he's isolated. He's on his own. He's sitting under his little oak tree uh, in the wilderness. He's got no one around him to say, ooh, that seems a bit odd. You know, the guy's had a vision of an angel. Haven't you had a word directly from God? Didn't he speak directly to you? And now you're trusting this guy with, with visions and, and claiming to be, to be holy and, and hearing from God. Nobody could say that. He was vulnerable. Maybe he was hungry. He was isolated. And ultimately, uh, he was picked off and, and gave in to the lie. There is a safety in community. There is a safety in hearing God together in community. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. It's not, we're not individuals in our own sort of isolated bubble. Yes, we have a, a relationship with God and we can hear from him in that way. And that's brilliant and it's glorious. But we also hear God in community. Proverbs 15 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. There are people that God has placed around us in this season, and it would be different for all of us, um, that he's put there to help us hear God's word. And that could be um, through bringing something to them and saying, hey, I think God might be speaking to me and saying this at this time. What, what do you think? Making that kind of humble uh, position of, of asking their advice. Or maybe, um, you know, sometimes God does speak to us through a direct prophecy. We had Terry King and Hilton come recently, they, at different points in their messages, they, they called people out and, and gave words over them. And that can happen. It's not the most common way that God speaks to us in community. The most common way that happens is, is kind of just discerning the will of God in the messiness of life together. It's kind of like Jamie speaking to me about my mobile phone. It's those nudges. Could this be something for you? You know, get a new phone? And there are those moments where we hear those suggestions and we, we hear that advice and it just it carries that sense of the weight of the word of God. But we have to be uh, ready to hear that. So another question to ponder, who has God placed in my life at this time? And kind of follow-up questions around that. Do I need to press in a little closer to those people? 
Um, do I need to maybe add more weight to what they're telling me? Am I kind of weighing it equally with stuff I might hear from work colleagues or from Instagram or, or wherever it might be? Do I need to add a bit more weight to, to the people God's um, placed around me in my life? And maybe is there something I need to bring in, in humility to those people? So that's the first way we can miss the word of God. The second way I think we can miss the word of God is that something other than God has captured our heart. And again, a, a key theme throughout uh, Kings as we look, looked through it has been this issue of the deceitfulness of the human heart. Um, and that we, we kind of, in, in some ways, we need to be questioning our heart because it, it can lead us astray. Um, and ultimately, we fail to, to hear God and we fail to trust in his word when we prize something else above him. And Jamie talked about idolatry a couple of uh, episodes back. If you haven't listened to that, um, I'd encourage you to go and listen to it. I'll touch on some of the points now, but we won't go into a lot of detail. But, but definitely go back and listen to that talk about idolatry. But he, he identified two um, kind of definitions or ways that we can understand idolatry. The first one was something we cling to in, in a storm. When the going gets tough, when circumstances get difficult, where it feels like um, our trousers are about to blow off in a storm, as is the case with this guy here, what, what do we cling to? What do we cling to? Is it clinging to God and to his word, or is it something else? The second definition was a good thing that has become the ultimate thing. Are there things in our lives that are good, that are maybe God's provision to us, but we're elevating them above God and making them our idol? And he gave a number of examples. It could be beauty, it could be our appearance, how we come across to others. It could be power, this idea of, of being able to, to manipulate and, and be in control of our, our circumstances. There's a whole number of things there. And there's obvious things like money. We know money can be an idol for people. Achievement can be an idol for people. But there's also sneaky things in there like ministry or, or serving or helping others. Do I, I get my whole sense of self-worth from the fact that I'm the person that's always there to help when people need it? Is that my identity? Have I elevated it above God? And that's a thing that's become an idol for me. Um, there, is, there is a war going on for our hearts, um, for our affections, for our decision-making. And Israel at this time in history was, as we've seen, it was engaged in idolatry in a very obvious way, worshiping golden calves. But actually Jeroboam and, and, and the prophet engaged in idolatry in a bit in, in more subtle ways as well. Jeroboam was trusting in his own ability to manipulate things politically over God's promise to him, ultimately. And that's what, what led him astray. The prophet was trusting in the credentials of this other prophet who had these wonderful visions and it all seemed grand and, and amazing over the word that God had spoken to him. He, didn't, he wasn't treasuring God's word. Something else had captured his heart. Maybe it was the desire to be accepted by this older, more wise prophet. Maybe he was placing him on a pedestal. We don't ultimately know, but something had captured his heart. And, and we can be prone to the same thing. And when I look at that, um, again, the story about my mobile phone, ultimately I look back and I kind of think there was, there was idolatry going on there. There was pride going on, on there. I had this phone. I thought, I've got a great idea about how to live my life. I like this phone. It's simple. It's nice. It makes me different from everyone else, kind of quirky. Um, I thought, you know, that was the way to live my life. And it seems silly now, but ultimately it was stopping me from seeing what God had had for me. It kind of blinded me to the word that, that God was bringing to me. And sometimes 
when we fall prey to idolatry, we, we confuse our own feelings or our own preferences for his word and his conviction. And, and when we do that, when we, we set ourselves up and live our lives like this, we're kind of no different to those false priests in Jeroboam's kingdom that say, yeah, I want to be a priest. I, I want to take that responsibility. And we, we kind of set ourselves up and take that role. Um, but it's taking control for ourselves, And it's not what God has for us. So a couple of questions just to consider off the back of this then. So is there something I'm treasuring that's in the way of me hearing God? And am I confusing my feelings, my preferences, for his word um, conviction? It can be very subtle, as, as it was for me in, in that situation. It can be hard to spot, but that's why we need faithful people around us to help us, help us see it. So moving on to the promise from the story. And this is the key thing. He passionately pursues us. Yes, we can miss the word of God, but his heart is that we don't. And he passionately pursues us. And again, we started off this talk talking about hope, the hope that was contained in the prophecy about Josiah, that there was a child to be born, um, to sit on David's throne, he would bring justice and he would bring end to this idolatry that was in the nation. And Josiah was good. He was a good king. Um, he did many good things. He brought reforms. He removed the high places. But ultimately, he was limited because after Josiah, a whole bunch of other bad kings came. And, and actually, Israel spiraled into sin again. And there's this pattern throughout the Old Testament, really, of, of the people of God coming back to God and enjoying relationship with him and then sinning and it all spirals out of control again. And then they come back to God and they rediscover him and then it all goes again. And it's this kind of constant cycle of idolatry and repentance and coming back and then idolatry again. And ultimately, Josiah wouldn't break the cycle. He wasn't able to break the cycle. He was a promise from God, and, and he would bring reform and do some great things. But something else was needed to break that cycle of, um, of sin. And there's another prophecy that, that comes a little bit after this story that we're reading now. Um, and it's this one from Isaiah 9. And again, I didn't know that Daniel was going to start the meeting by talking about this. And, and I think Pete picked up the refrain in, in worship as well, Isaiah 9. But, but I just felt drawn to this, to this verse. Um, and, and it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What an amazing promise. What an amazing word. And it's talking about Jesus and um, and Jesus came to be, to be king. And he came to be a perfect king that wouldn't fall into the traps of all the other kings um, that we read about. But not only this, he, he came to be the great high priest of our, of our faith. And he came not to, to make sacrifice and, and bring justice in that kind of bloody way that we read in this passage and punish those in, in idolatry. But he came to be punished himself. He came to, to give himself 
for our sake to, you know, to, if you like, climb on that, that altar of sacrifice himself and take the punishment that ultimately we deserve for that cycle of sin and idolatry that we're in so that we can have intimacy with him, so that we can hear his voice. And that, that phrase at the end, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That word zeal, it can mean passion, it can mean jealousy. But what God is after is us. The reason why he's doing it is out of his love for us. He's so passionate to have relationship with him. He wants us to, to hear him. And when Jesus died on that cross, we saw the altar split in this prophecy. It wasn't just the altar that split. It, the entire earth shook. The rocks split. And the, t- the temple curtain was torn in two so that we could, we could come face to face, so that we could walk into his, his throne room and be completely cleansed. We are right to question the purity of, of our heart, but we never ought to question God's desire to, to pursue us passionately with zeal, to speak with us and guide us. How do we know? How can we be sure of this? Because he was crushed for our sins, because he moved heaven and earth to, to be with us. And so it leads us to an invitation this morning, which is will we trust his leadership? Because there's an incredible truth here that when we live in the reality of his sacrifice, when, when that reality captures our hearts, when, when we give our allegiance to him, not to these other things, these other idols in our lives, when, when all of our priorities are put in their rightful place, he takes a kingdom of, of false priests and he makes us true priests within his kingdom who can bring his word and his life, just as Sally shared this morning, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools. And we become a people that commune with God, a people that can hear God with each other, for each other. And when when that beauty, when that that reality captures our hearts, it makes the soil of our heart hospitable for his word to come and speak to us. So again, just returning to that phrase, any who would... Jeroboam made, made priests. God almost takes that phrase and, and he flips it and he says, any who would bow the knee to Jesus, any who would make him Lord of your life, any who would submit all of your concerns, all of your priorities to him and, and lay them down at the foot of his cross, he will make sons of God. He will make true priests in his kingdom. So that's kind of what I want to finish on really is is this sense that as difficulty increases as this message of of kings and and things get get harder God speaks clearer than ever and he wants to speak to us and we all have that invitation we all have that privilege that responsibility of hearing him for for ourselves and it's an open invitation to us so just a few response questions then for us this morning So number one, um, maybe you're in a situation where you want to hear his life-giving, hope-giving voice in the midst of what you're facing and and God's offering that invitation to you today. Uh, Number two, maybe you want to draw deeper into the community God, God has placed around you. That sense of he's put people around me to love and care for me and to hear his voice for me and I want to draw deeper into that. I don't just want to be out on my own and and, and vulnerable. And number three, I want to surrender to the king who gave himself for me so that I could 
hear him so that I could have intimacy and walk with him as a friend throughout all the circumstances that I'm facing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.